Let us pray. Holy God, on this extraordinary day, we pray that in these moments you would be gracious to our seeking of a holy word from you. In the name of the word made flesh, amen. There is a hole inside of you. It was there before you knew it, but by now you confront this hole almost every day of your life. I don't know what that is. I don't know what's missing in your life. Maybe it involves a relationship or your family. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it is something about your past. Does not matter how many degrees you collect, I promise you, you will never have a better past. Maybe it is a dream that will always elude you. It's not the same thing for all of us. The only thing that is the same is that we are all missing something in our lives. Your future depends on how you handle this hole in your life. If you are a person of prayer, you have claimed such verses as ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. And there's been a lot of asking and seeking and knocking in your life. And still the hole remains. At times, the yearning grows intense. And if, it allows, if you allow it, it will take over your life with the insatiable thirst for something more. Those of us who hang around churches may think that such persistent yearning is the result of living in a world that long ago fell from paradise. But I am not so sure. You know, we have only a few pages of the Bible that describe what God had in mind from the beginning. Just this very little bit. Then we get to the third chapter where we messed it all up. The entire rest of the book is a recovery plan. So these opening pages of the Bible that describe what God had in mind from us are very precious to us. Let us attend very carefully to what they tell us about what God had in mind for us in creation. We're told that we were placed in a garden that God had created. And we were told that we could eat of almost all of the fruit of that garden. Almost all of that fruit was given to us, blessed by God. And to take of that fruit was to experience doxology, to praise the God from whom all these blessings came. But there was the fruit of one tree that was not given, not blessed for us. 
which means that from the beginning, we were never meant to have it all. By created design, something will always be missing in your life. Again, be careful with the text. This, this is not a punishment. This is before the fall. This is God's idea of a good creation. And do you remember where God placed this tree with the forbidden fruit? It was not off on some corner that could easily be ignored. No, it was planted right here, right in the midst of the garden, right in the midst of your garden. That meant Adam and Eve had to walk by that tree every day so do we, and it drives us a little nuts. There can be 999 trees in our garden that we can freely go to and enjoy the blessings given to us, but where do we always pitch our tent? Underneath this one thing we do not have. We think about it all the time. We cannot figure out why God has not given us this fruit as well. Let the rest of the garden go to weed. What will I do about this yearning for this one thing that is missing? And we are then so tempted to reach beyond our created limitations to just take that which was not given. And the way the text goes when you do that that's when you lose paradise. And on the way out, you realize, you know, it actually was a pretty good garden. <laughs> Even though something was missing, it was pretty good. Right, but now it is paradise lost. When my daughter graduated from college, I was stunned to hear the commencement speaker peddling the same dribble I heard when I graduated from college. He looked out over 5,000 graduates, and he said, you are among the brightest and best we have ever seen. <laughs> Set your goals high. Dream your own dreams, chase your own star, and you can be anything you want to be. Really? <laughs> really? He might as well have said, I'm sorry, we have nothing for you. You're on your own. <clears throat> it's all out there. It's a la carte. Do the best you can. because we have long given up the notion that the identity is an inheritance from those who've gone before us, or a calling from the community around us or the God above us. Now we believe that identity is a self-construction, that we self-create our lives, and the way that we believe we do that is by making choices. It begins at a very early age. Anyone who has done parenting in the last couple of generations realizes that all of the advice is about helping Johnny make better choices. 
So when Johnny throws a rock through the glass window, you're not supposed to go out and scold him. No, you bring Johnny in, you show him the broken window, the rock, and you say, now that was, was that a good choice? And Johnny, who's a smart young man, says, I'm thinking no. <laughs> right, good, good, Johnny, you've got this down. And as he gets older, so he has to keep making more and more and more choices. And so does this generation. And the choices start to have more and more anxiety attached to them. Choices about school, choices about vocation, choices about relationship and work. And you begin to worry that you're not getting the life you want because you haven't chosen well enough. And when that happens, you just choose again, and you choose again. You get a different job, you move to a different community, you join a different church, you rearrange your relationships. If that doesn't work, you choose again and again and again. And anyone who's been in ministry for a long time has parishioners who are using up their fleeting years just rearranging the furniture of their life, thinking that they can choose their way into getting all of the garden. over against this temptation of a way to surely lose your life, stands a pastor in front of an altar holding a broken loaf of bread. As the organ whispers with tender music or perhaps the choir sings, a procession of parishioners line up in front of that altar, in front of the Holy Sacrament, and they shuffle their way forward, not to receive holiness, but not to receive wholeness, but just a taste of holiness. And they come up one after another in front of their pastor, the pastor who knows them well. And just before they break off a piece of bread, there's a, a very tender moment when the pastor's eye greets the parishioner's eye, and in that glance is a memory of a job that was recently lost, of an old lover that was recently left behind in a fresh grave, or of a terrible diagnosis of a horrible disease or of a prodigal daughter or son. But all that the pastor says is the body of Christ. It's all that can be said. It's all that needs to be said. Jesus Christ did not come to show us the way back to paradise. Jesus came to bring us God. He came as the God who was determined to be with us, who walked our roads, who healed our sick, who fed our hungry, who cast out our demonic evil. The God in the flesh who went to the cross dying to love us. Dying to love the world who rose from the dead not to prevent death, but to ensure that there would always be something beyond death and every death-like experience. And who before his ascension commissioned, called us to work as his witnesses for the coming kingdom. But there's nothing in any of that that sounds remarkably like paradise. Remember Paul's 
thorn was never removed from his flesh. That was beside the point, absolutely beside the point. The point was that he had received a call, a mission to his life. So have you. There is a mission to your life. Don't try to get your life just right before assuming your mission. Keep the mission ever before you. That mission, in the words of John Calvin, all rise. <laughs> Leave the garden better than you found it. Leave the church, the ministry, the classroom, the students, the parishioners better than you found them. But you can't do that until you have figured out how to steward the thing that is missing in your life. Maybe even how to honor it as the mark of your freedom. This is a choice that you can make. You can choose to let this thing that's missing in your life drive you crazy with yearning, or you can turn it into the altar where you pray and once again hear the still small voice of the Spirit say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Just because you have a holy mission, don't expect God to remove the thorn or to fill the hole. When I was a young boy in Sunday school, the state of the art technology for education was a thing called the flannel graph. <laughs> flannel graph was a pretty large board with, well, flannel stretched across it, and it was perched on an easel. As the teacher taught her lesson, she would take characters made out of paper with a little bit of flannel on the back of them, and she would put them up on the board. There'd always be like a little house or a palm tree or a camel to start with, set the backdrop. And then as she put this character up on the board, when that person's story was arriving in the drama, she put it up there. And those of you who remember flannel graph will remember this action. You always had to smooth them out a little bit to get them to stay up there. I can still see Mrs. Williams with her long bony fingers trying to smooth out these characters. Well, any time the Apostle Paul was used in one of the stories of flannel graph, he took a lot of extra smoothing out <laughs> because he had been overused in the story. The great honor was to be able to hand the characters to Mrs. Williams, and one day, Johnny Burke and I got into a fight over who would be handing him to her, and we tore his little head off. <laughs> so she had him taped together. And some of the kids in Vacation Bible School spilled their Kool-Aid on him, so he was purple. But there he was, still used in the story. Taped together, purple, trying to get smoothed out. And it was as if Mrs. Williams was proclaiming a holy mystery to us as children, which is this. God 
is not easy on the people God uses. When you look at the other characters of scripture who get used a lot in the biblical drama, the very best of them are discolored and taped together by the end of their lives. The Apostle Paul himself was chased out of most of the towns of the Roman Empire, usually with a shower of rocks behind him. But what is he writing about in his prison epistles? He's writing about his surpassing joy, his joy in spite of the hardship. He wants to write about his joy. Why is he so joyful? Because he got used in God's drama. It's all he ever wanted. He's chained up, he's bruised, he still has that thorn, but he is so filled with joy because God called him and gave him a mission and he had a place. So do you. But about this I'm certain. As both scripture and church history proclaims, no one who was of use to God lived without a hole in her or his life. The precise reason they were useful is that they neither fell into the abyss of that hole nor did they waste their lives trying to flee it. Instead, they just took it as a call to prayer and they stayed in prayer until they realized the surpassing worth of the yearning they had for the one to whom they were praying. That option is always available to you. It's the only way to truly enjoy your garden, the ministry to which God is calling you, your very life. A garden that is pretty good, the garden you were called to serve. But you can't do it unless you have that altar the altar where you exchange your yearning for a holy mission. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.